Good evening and welcome to Point of View. I'm Chris Berg. Thank you so much for joining us. We start with some breaking news tonight. The North Dakota Senate Senate voted 25 to 21 to repeal, repeal North Dakota's blue laws, which actually forced some businesses to be closed until noon on Sunday. So it's now headed to Governor Burgum's desk. And I just happened to be interviewing Governor Burgum this afternoon when the news broke about the Senate vote. So we were in the middle of the interview and I like, hey, breaking news here. Let's find out your thoughts. And are you actually going to sign this bill into law? And if so, why? Here's what Governor Burgum had to say. I think that the, the repeal uh, would be a positive thing for business owners in our state. And the reason I say that is, is and I'm certainly empathetic to the legislators who voted no, because we have a lot of people in North Dakota that care about, uh, about tradition, they care about family values, they care about the family unit and time together. And I'm, as a father, I understand that uh, and understand that dynamic. Uh, but what we had left was such a mishmash of regulations. If you went to church with your family at nine o'clock on a Sunday morning, and then you drove to the grocery store and said, I wanna buy, I wanna buy a pancake mix and some syrup, and I want to buy a spatula. You could buy two of those three things. You could not buy the spatula. Okay, so we have, at some point, we have to be able to say we trust uh, our parents and their decisions on how they're going to spend a Sunday morning, and we have to be able to give the opportunity to business owners and trust those business owners, because this repeal doesn't require people to be open on Sunday. Like a national chain, you could choose to be closed the whole day. You could choose to be open at noon. Uh, you might choose to say, hey, I'll sell online, but I'm not going to sell on premise. I mean, you have all kinds of options, but uh, this is effectively to me, it's deregulation. It's trusting, it's trusting the parents to figure out how to run their, how to spend their time on a Sunday morning. It's trusting the uh, local businesses to decide how to best run their businesses. And I'm a guy that's for freedom and local control, and this is a step in that direction. Freedom and local control. I love it. Totally agree with Governor Doug Burgum on this one. A perfect example is Chick-fil-A. Look, they choose. They choose on their own accord because of their business's values to be closed on Sunday. There's no government, government mandate. There's nobody forcing them to be open or closed on Sundays. They make that choice because that aligns with their corporate values to be closed on Sunday. And I'm sure there are many of you that, they, that you go to Chick-fil-A because you appreciate their corporate values. You appreciate what they stand up for. Thus, you go and patron their business. And, oh, by the way, their food's pretty good, too. There are a lot of people, though, that, you know, saying, hey, we should have stayed with tradition. We should have kept the blue laws in place because they're talking about family time and church. I believe in all that stuff. But let's be honest. I mean, now that stores are going to be open on Sundays, no one's forcing you to go shopping on a Sunday. Let's be really frank here. If you and I can't trust the people of North Dakota enough to go make a decision about whether they're going to go shopping or not without some form of government control, we might as well just have North Dakota be a complete and total nanny state and tell you when you can go to your bathroom, when you can go. I mean, I just think it's fantastic. Freedom, local control, always a good thing in my opinion. Now, one of the deciding votes was Senator Jim Roars out of Fargo here. He was a hard no on this bill. Like going up into this vote, he was absolutely not. I want to keep the blue laws in place. Then he started getting uh, a lot of emails. A lot of his constituents started just nailing his in email inbox. I talked to him earlier today. He says, Chris, it was incredible. Two to one, maybe even a little bit more than two to one. His constituents wanted him to vote yay today to repeal North Dakota blue law. So kudos to him. He listened to you as constituents. And I think more importantly for you out there here in North Dakota that, you know, we have this unprecedented sort of access to our lawmakers and whatnot. Realizing when you hear a story about what happened with Jim Roars, hard no, got flipped to a yes, 
because of you. Because of you taking action, for you making phone calls, for you sending out emails, he listened to you, he made a different choice to align with his constituents in his district. So golf clap for the people in his district and really to all of North Dakotans for those of you that are actively involved in reaching out to your lawmakers. Now, also at the event today here in Fargo was Senator John Hoven. I met up with him to talk about, they did talk about the, the more funding for the FM diversion. We'll have that up online later for you tonight, but also wanted to visit with him about building the wall. He's on the Homeland Security Committee, so we touched on that. It's also Ag Day today at our state capitol in Bismarck, so we want to take a moment to honor our great egg producers. So we talked about that and much, much more. As of last week, the Border Patrol came out and said there's been no new miles of wall built. As you know, and I brought this up last time we talked, you hadn't seen the letter yet, but Senator Kramer's letter to the Corps, he's using words like abuse, fraud regarding the Corps. Your assessment of Senator Kramer's comments about the Army Corps of Engineers. Well, it is a concern that we need to get this moving, and so I think we do have to uh, work on them to get it going. And a good example is the work we're doing with Fisher Industries. I expect the, the Corps is going to have this down to four or five bidders, and I believe that Fisher will be one of them, but they have a whole new process on how to do it. So go back to the question you asked a minute ago. Big part of the reason we're getting this permanent flood protection going here, uh, you know, in this area, is because of the creativity and the innovation that the communities this whole region came forward with. P3 is going to be a national model for the country. Okay, in the same way, so North Dakota ingenuity, right? And, yes. Minnesota, and Minnesota too. Same thing with Fisher Industries. They have a whole new way to build this wall that will be better, cheaper, faster. That's what the Corps needs to grab onto, like they're grabbing on with P3, get the job done. But Fisher Industries already, you know, submitted proposals to the Corps. They've been denied. So I guess my question is now with the national emergency, can we now take this outside the purview of the Corps, put it under the purview of DHS, and can Trump legally now at this point with a national declaration go, hey, we want Fisher Industries, give them the money, let's get it done. To, to move it out from under the Corps, you'd have to pass legislation to do it. So the more... Even um, under the national emergency declaration? Yeah. So really? the more immediate, well, I believe so. Okay. I mean, we can check into it further, but my understanding is you'd have to actually change the law because right now under the law, the core does these kind of projects. So on a more immediate timeline, let's get on them to go ahead and move forward with the kind of solution that somebody like a Fisher Industries can bring. That, that, that's the analogy to what we're doing here. In other words, bring some of that ingenuity and creativity and then stay on them to get it done. But you're right, we have to cut through the red tape. That's my next question. So it sounds like you're a proponent of Fisher Industries getting this big, yes? Is that a fair assessment? Oh, well, absolutely. So my, it's a so, great North Dakota company. But, I mean, again, they, this has to be done fairly and properly through the bid process, which they're going through and they will go through. The point is they have a solution back to that innovative solution that whether it's the core or anyone else, when you're spending taxpayer dollars, find the solution that's going to get the job done and save taxpayer dollars. So you talk to the core. When, when you find out there's not been one new mile built... How do you explain that? Well, there's a whole range of things that they say they have to contend with. My point is what you're saying, we have to stay on them and get it done. We're doing that. I think you're going to see. I, I mean, I'm, I'm more optimistic than you are. I think we have a good shot to get Fisher Industries and others in there building this thing. I think the bigger holdup is actually going to be some of the issues with private landowner rights and that kind of thing, where you've got to work through that 
with those private landowners, that you know, ranchers and so forth that live down on the border. But again, think about it. We have experience with that because we deal with that on pipelines and transmission lines. Well, with some good news, because I asked Tommy Fisher about that. He said, Chris, in Arizona, we uh, right now have got what's called the Roosevelt easement, so you can work there without eminent domain, and then that way you can work out the contracts in Texas while you're building the wall in Arizona. Right on. In other words, where they can go, That's they've got problem. a great solution, but they also have the ability to go in and sit down and talk with landowners and try to get through some of those other areas as well. So, yeah, there's red tape and bureaucracy in government, no doubt about it. I've worked on that one, you know, addressing that as a governor, work on it, uh, addressing it as a senator, certainly Senator Kramer and others are too. We need to get the project moving, but we need to look at these creative solutions and make darn sure we help these people get through the process and get going. So just to be clear, if Tommy Fisher were here, what would you say to him? Hey, Tommy, here's what I'm going to do right now to make sure that we get this project moving forward. Well, the Corps is going to announce the shortlist here, maybe five or so companies, I think, within the next week or so. And I obviously, I believe Fisher Industries should be on there. Hopefully there's other companies with great creative solutions. So let's get that done and put those folks to work. And again, this is going through a fair process. This isn't any favoritism. I don't want anybody thinking, oh, that somehow they're getting special. No. Again, merit-based, but it's those merits that are going to get this project done, not only on time, but sooner, lower cost, and a better product. Well, let's talk about this. It's Ag Day today at the state capitol in Bismarck. You recently met with President Trump talking yeah. about these trade deals. Sunny Purdue said in an interview, I think yesterday, that, hey, China may buy three times as much ag product than they have in the past. What's the latest on this trade deal? When do you see an end coming? So I, I was at the White House for two hours uh, last week, Wednesday, meeting with the president. First thing we went through is how do we get uh, USMCA through the Senate? And it has to start in the House, right? So this is not an easy task. What's our strategy? And, you know, I'm trying to convince the administration that by um, getting rid of the tariff on steel and aluminum as far as Canada and Mexico, which they're, they're working on, okay, uh, that that will help build support and momentum, okay? So we've got to get that in place. With, uh, with China, we need purchases, just like you're saying, well, we're negotiating, right? So that's what you're seeing. The Chinese have committed to 10 million metric tons. That's about one-third of what they normally buy in a year. And that was just the first commitment. They're also buying pork, energy, and other things. Um, and so we need to get more of those purchases going that will really help in farm country. Well, the, the administration's trying to negotiate a better deal. My opinion is they feel they can get a good deal, a better deal than we have now with China for both energy and ag, vitally important to us. President Trump loves tariffs. What's his response to you? You say, hey, we got to get rid of these tariffs on steel. Well, he's looking at other things like a quota, for example, or something like that. And again, I don't want to get ahead of him, um, but I think he's trying to come up with something where, you know, we get more access to foreign markets. Obviously, he's still trying to make sure that our basic steel industry in particular and aluminum and some others are treated fairly. So, I mean, it's somewhat complicated, but I think he is looking at moving away from the tariffs, but maybe some kind of quota. You saw that in, in his negotiation of USMCA. So it gets done when, do you think? China? A month? Um, to, to, based on the discussion we had up there, we'll have a better sense in a couple weeks. So that was last, last Wednesday. I hope in the next week or 10 days we'll have a better idea. I'm not saying it's done then, but hopefully we'll have a better idea. Let me ask you this, because President Trump's got an incredible connection with farmers, the heartland, middle of America, right? He comes out with his budget, and there's a 15% cut to the USDA. 
including crop insurance. Many people say that a budget also demonstrates a person's vision or where they see things. What do you take away from the fact that there's this connection with farmers and President Trump, yet he's cutting things like crop insurance and a really tough time for farmers right now? Yeah, um, we, we need to make sure that we're providing support for our farmers and ranchers right now. And you have to recognize that not only is that support there in the programs we put through in the Farm Bill in terms of the countercyclical safety net, ARC, PLC, crop insurance, but you also have to understand that those programs save money over time. In other words, the support or help is there in a, in a time like now when you have low commodity prices or when you have you know, problems with weather and that kind of thing, they can't produce a crop. But then that support basically goes where backs off when they don't need it. So we actually generate savings through that kind of counter-cyclical program, and it's very under very important to understand that piece is that we are actually saving money through those kinds of programs and thank you so much to senator hoven appreciate his insight there as i mentioned just a moment ago it is ag day today at our state capitol in bismarck so joining us now live from our bismarck studio is the owner and president of proceed keith peltier keith thanks so much for joining us you heard senator hoven's comments there we'd love to know from you what, what did you guys do today to celebrate our great egg producers in Bismarck, but also what are you hearing from our producers? As you just heard from Senator Hovind, things are, uh, they're pretty tough in the farm economy right now. They're tough in the farm economy, Chris, yes. <clears throat> but you know, they, we think that uh, we're looking up. We had, you know, we got good moisture start for this year. Um, so yeah, it's not gonna be the crops or the revenue that we had, uh, you know, four or five years ago, but uh, if we get a decent yield and we get a little bit of improvement on the price, uh, we'll, we'll be making a little bit of money. I know tomorrow uh, you are going to be testifying, sir. What are you going to be testifying about specifically? What's your outcome? So we're going to be testifying for the House Bill uh, 1020 on the Senate side, and we're looking to get the experiment station and the extension service back to hold even on their budget. So we were in the House about... Uh, a month ago, a month and a half ago, and they cut us from uh, about 6% on the experiment station and about 2 to 4% on the research uh, centers. So we're looking to get uh, back to hold even and then get a couple of our research uh, uh, initiatives uh, included there also. So we'll see what happens. We've got a good case. As this, you know, 40% uh, ROI on ag research, you can't <laughs> beat that uh, anywhere. Well, and I was just going to ask you that, sir, to kind of let people understand, hey, to be made whole in the research aspect of things, you do get a great ROI there. So what are a couple of uh, research items you just mentioned that you also want to get added in? And since you're talking about budget, if you can, I'd just love to get your takeaway from the standpoint that, as I mentioned to Senator Hovind, you know, President Trump's got an incredible connection here in the heartland with farmers, ag producers, and yet came out with a budget that cut the USDA, cut crop insurance. Uh, your assessment of that? Well, um, you know, we'd like to see for our producers to have them have a safety net, as Senator Hovind said. You know, that's very important for agriculture to have that safety net on there. Um, you know, we would like to see the trade open up uh, more than it is. Um, you know, 95% of our soybeans out of North Dakota go to China. So if we can get that market opened up a little bit uh, more than it is, that will be better. And, you know, we'd also like to see them... Uh, do the right thing on ethanol, um, you know, not giving waivers to the uh, small refiners, takes a lot of ethanol out of the market. And of course, ethanol is made with corn. So we'd like to see some um, 
more things of that sort that uh, don't uh, hurt our egg demand. Keith, help me understand this. I didn't grow up on a farm, and so I see some of these budget cuts, you know, to things like crop insurance where time, times are tough for the farm economy right now, but then you're also telling me, even in North Dakota, the number one ag state in the country is making cuts to ag research. And then you say, hey, Chris, there's also a 40% ROI in this. It's hard for me to wrap my brain around why would we be cutting ag research knowing the kind of state that we are and the ROI on that. What's the thought process behind that? What needs to happen tomorrow for you guys to ensure that you're made whole? Well, um, we're going to give our testimony to the uh, Senate Ag Committee, and hopefully they respond to, you know, numbers. We've got other numbers besides 40% ROI, you know. The, um, just using precision ag and not using precision ag is $88 an acre more to the people that aren't using it. So $88 an acre is huge, and if we can bring that message to the producers, there's a lot of producers that are using it now already. But if we can get more of them using it, you know, $88 an acre is huge. If you just made a $10 an acre uh, increment to the cropland in North Dakota, that'd be worth $20 million a year. There's $200 million a year. That's a big number. That's a very big, that, that's almost the diversion money that they need. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So, I mean, you know, the, the ag research has been better than Microsoft over the 10 years. You know, the legacy fund would kill for 40% ROI. We, you know, if the legacy fund got 40% ROI, we wouldn't have any problems in North Dakota. Yeah, we'd be like Norway. We could just sit around and have a bunch of social programs. And so, uh, Keith, thank you for the time. Thank you for the insight. Good luck tomorrow. And I always love to say it, proceed if you need seed. Think proceed. Thank you, sir. Think proceed. There you go. <laughs> Have a great day. We'll talk to you soon, Keith.